you guys are, are getting a, a, a special treat this morning, maybe, kind of. No, that's, that's way overselling. Um, typically, I preach on Saturday nights, and, uh, and I have a run at this thing before I get up. But yesterday, I was out at the, uh, 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 the refocus retreat that some of our folks are on. Some 60, 70 folks are out uh, in Leesburg. I didn't know there was a Leesburg, Florida. There's a Leesburg, Florida. Did you know that? It's up that way. Anyway, uh, uh, we were all out there, and I got back last night and cranked this out. So let's see what happens to the glory of God. Amen? Turn to the person next to you. Tell them what you fear the most. What is your greatest fear in life? Go ahead. Turn to the person. Tell them what your greatest fear is. All right, hopefully you're done. Hopefully you didn't have too many there. Uh, fear's a part of life, and today we're going to talk about standing up to fear. Here's some of the fears that were listed in an ABC News article. These are the top ten fears. Uh, they're uh, given their, you know, big falutin names first. Agoraphobia, anybody know what agoraphobia is? So it's fear of open spaces. It's fear of being out in crowds and not being in your home. Uh, so some people are afraid to leave their house. Ac- ac- acrophobia, anybody know this one? Fear of heights, actually, You're not spiders. If you don't know, don't say you don't know. You know just They're not all going to be spiders, just so you know. Acrophobia is a, spear of, a fear of heights, to escalators and uh, elevators and tall buildings. Uh, here's a good one. Can you, I don't even know how to say this one. Terra marhanophobia. There, that's, I tried. That's what it is, right? It's a silent P, I'm guessing. They're usually silent when they're up there in the front. Uh, Terramahanophobia is the fear of flying. It's a close relative of uh, uh, acrophobia. It's a height thing. But it's also combined with this next one, which we should all know, claustrophobia. What's that one? It's it's a fear of a plane or an elevator or uh, anything that's a closed space. Uh, Entomophobia. We're getting closer now. Uh, Anybody know this one? Fear of bugs, fear of insects. Anybody got that one? My, my sons are really afraid of bees. It's, it's troubling for me, I'll be honest with you, as a man. I want, I want them to get past that. It's a little embarrassing. All right. Uh, uh, oh, who, hey, whoever had that first one? Ophidiophobia, fear of snakes. Selfies is a good one. No, snakes. It's a fear of snakes. I see what you did there. Ophidio sounds like photo. I see what you did there. All right. Uh, Sinophobia. I don't know many with this one, but it's fear dogs. My, my wife actually has a fear of some dogs. She doesn't want to go walking in parts of our neighborhood because there's this huge German shepherd tied to a tether behind a huge fence. Still doesn't like go by it. It's like, babe, seriously, you're good. All right. Uh, astrophobia. Maybe you can guess this one. Fear of storms. It's the fear of storms. My mom has this. My mom hates thunderstorms. Uh, my, my dog, who's now gone, rest in peace, AJ, uh, same thing. They, they shared genetic material there, apparently. They're both afraid of storms. Uh, trypanophobia. Fear of needles. Good. Nice job, brother. Fear of needles. My son Cooper. To- My son Cooper's got a lot of these. Anyway, uh, <laughs> those are, those are uh, I think, nine of the top ten. Uh, the, the, the number one, you know what the number one was? They kind of lumped it all together. It was social phobias. People have fear of people. <laughs> and I think that fear is growing. As uh, social media churns out uh, fear-mongering story after fear-mongering story, and our, our news uh, uh, outlets uh, continue to share with us all the bad news that's going on in the world, it is easy to live life in fear. It's a scary world. 
We can be overcome by fears. But this is bad. Listen, spiritually speaking, fear, no bueno. Not a good thing at all. Here's why. Fear has these, these, these impacts on us. The first thing that fear causes in our lives is it makes us deaf to reason. Anybody with those phobias, you can't, you can't explain to them you're going to be fine. You can't explain to them that the snake can't get you from over here, or, or well, maybe not the snake, but, but, you know, but heights, no one dies from heights. Maybe you fall from it. But, the, but it, there's, there's certain things that the irrational thinkings of our mind just, just completely block out any reason that could get us over our fears. I, I remember standing in the pool uh, at, the, at the city pool in Dallas, Texas with my daughter Kai, and I was trying to get her to die for the first time. Does anybody remember doing that with one of your kids? And uh, uh, I, would, I sat there and I assured her, Daddy's right here, the water, you've been in the water, you know the water's not gonna hurt you. All you gotta do is tuck your head and, and fall. And she would, okay. And we'd count, one, two, three, nope, nope, nope. Because it didn't matter what I said until she got through and broke through that first time, uh, her fears were over gonna come reason. Fear also causes us to make really bad decisions. Isn't that true? Like if you're afraid, if you're frightened, if you're tense and stressed and angsty, uh, you're just gonna make poor decisions. Your brain doesn't work right. I mean, this is science. I don't have the, the uh, articles to prove it, but I, I remember this from you know, other classes that I've taken that, that when we are tense, we, we make poor choices. Most traffic accidents, uh, I don't know if that maybe most is too far reaching, but a lot of traffic accidents I know are worse because people react in fear rather than doing what they're supposed to do. Like, uh, you know, snows happen in the southern states here over the winter, and people aren't used to driving them, and they have fear driving in snow. And so when, when they see something that is completely navigable, it's not something that is, you know, uh, accident-causing, but they just see it, and they get tensed up and worried about it, and all of a sudden they're yanking the wheel left and right, and then they're in the ditch, even though there was nothing there that was truly threatening. Fears cause us to make bad decisions. And then finally, spiritually speaking, fears, they keep us from God's best. They are our prison for those who would follow after Christ with all their lives. If we're afraid to uh, have that hard conversation, relationships stay where they are. If we're afraid to venture out in the courage that God is asking us to have into something that's new, then we stay where we are. Fear is a a tether, a prison, uh, it keeps us from God's best. You may remember the, the parable of the talents that Jesus told? The three servants were given you know, a, a sum of money, each of them a, a different amount, but they were all given a sum of money and they were told to invest it and to make the most of it. And two of the servants, they took the money that had been given to them by the master and they, they went out and they did just that. They, they risked it, they went out and, and invested it and they had a return on that investment. But remember what the one guy did? He got one talent, what did he do? He buried it. And I used to think as I preached that message, I've actually preached it this way. He was just lazy. And that might have been part of it. He just didn't want to be bothered. But you know, as I rethink that parable, here's what I think. He was afraid. He was afraid that if he took this out there and he invested, he might lose it. And so rather than taking what the master had given him and making much of it, he just buried it in the backyard. You may remember what the master did. He wasn't very happy with that servant. And so fear had been one of the causes, or at least a part of the cause that kept him from investing what the master had given. And fear, fear keeps us from the very best. And in and, and, and essence, it, it keeps us uh, from the blessing, the joy, us, us bringing joy to our master. Now the scriptures are, are full of reminders not to be afraid. 
Don't be afraid, it says over and over again in so many ways. In Isaiah chapter 41, Isaiah speaking to Israel at the time, says, fear not for I am with you. He uh, speaks as the voice of God here in this prophecy. I am with you, be not dismayed for I am your God, Isaiah says on behalf of God. I will strengthen you, I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. I was teaching at this retreat this weekend and uh, one of my uh, subjects, just a brief devotional time, was on uh, noise. We were talking about the spiritual disciplines and how to you know, escape everything that's going on in the world and really press hard into Christ and, and the things that he has for us. And so I, I got up and I was asked to speak about noise. And so I went to the texts that talk about being still. I had Eleanor actually, who's still there this morning, uh, she talked about um, Exodus chapter 14, uh, where uh, God tells the Israelites to be still. I'll fight for you. In verses 13 and 14, be still. Now, probably the most famous text, if you've heard the words "be still" referenced uh, in, in you know, part with the Bible, uh, is "Be still and know that I am God." Anybody know where that is? It's in Psalm chapter 46. That verse or that Psalm starts like this: "God is our refuge." And our strength, he's a very present help in trouble. That's a great way to start any psalm right there, right? It's this reminder that we're good. God's got us. It goes on, says some other things, but then the psalmists get to the ninth verse, and they say this of God. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He, he breaks the bow and he shatters the spear. He, he burns the chariots with fire. Uh, God is a peace enforcer. He takes all of the forces that would be against us, all the forces that would make war with us, and he, undo, he, 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 makes, he renders them useless. Then we get to this famous verse that is a part. So many songs and so many sermons. Be still, it says, and know that I am God. There's two instructions there. Do you see them? Two verbs. First one's be still. It's the Hebrew word rapa. Everybody say rapa. Yeah, there it is. It's a... Uh, it's a word that basically means let go. It's used of, uh, uh, you know, uh, this idea of, of, of people just being in this frantic stir, being in this, even it's used in arguments. If you're in an argument, you ever said to someone, oh, why don't you just let it go? Just let it go. You're all riled up for nothing. Just chill. This is Hebrew for chill. Let it go. Release it. A lot of times when we read be still, we think quiet, everybody quiet. Well, that's not, that's not the overall sense of this word. This Hebrew word doesn't mean quiet. It means let it go. And as you're letting things go, what's the psalmist say? Be still, rapa, let things go. And then what? No. Replace whatever's going off, all the alarms that are firing off in your head. Replace all of that noise, all of that with the knowledge that your God is able. He's bigger than. It goes on and it says, I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. Um, If you read this kind of at face value, it looks like, well, God's exaltation in the nations and God's exaltation in the earth is contingent on me being still and knowing that I'm God. That's not what it's saying at all. Uh, This is a fact. God will be exalted amongst the nations. God will be exalted in all the earth. That's happening. You and I have the choice as to whether or not we're going to accept that and live in, in accordance with that. To have the hope and the confidence and the courage 
that comes from the knowledge that my God is bigger than, that he prevails, that he wins in the end. This is the psalmist's hope as he confronts the fears of Israel. God doesn't want us to live in fear. He wants to let it go, us to let it go in the knowledge and the confidence that his ability, in the knowledge and the confidence of his ability to overcome and protect. So this morning, I want you to just uh, take a second and I want you to think, I want you to pray even. Ask God, what, what fears have me pinned down in, in my life? What are the fears that are keeping me from going forward in the things that you'd have for me so that I experience your very best? Are there areas of your life where you need God's refuge and strength? Do you currently lack the courage to fear not in some relationship or in some circumstance in your life? As we go through this series on reminders, I'm just going to text that uh, served as reminders for Israel in the Old Testament and the church in the New Testament of uh, God's hopes for us. And so I'm going to take us now to uh, Nehemiah chapter 4, and we're going to read this story. It's a great story. If you haven't read the book of Nehemiah, it's an awesome one. I preached it uh, years ago when I got here. Uh, but we should preach it again because it's a great account of courage and overcoming and uh, accomplishment in the name of our God. Nehemiah is this guy. He's actually the the wine taster for the, uh, the king of Persia. He, he's, he's hanging out, and uh, he's uh, just in the palace. He hears that the walls in his hometown of Jerusalem are down. It grieves him greatly, and he has the courage in the first couple chapters to, first of all, pray, and then to go and talk to the king and say, listen, man, I want to go rebuild the walls in my hometown. And God gives him favor, and the king gives him wood. He gives him the keys to Home Depot there in town, and he gets all these supplies, and he heads to uh, the, the ruins of Jerusalem. He gets there. He, he goes and inspects the walls and hangs out, and then he gathers a group of builders. He says, you guys, it's time. It's time for those of us who have returned uh, after uh, they had been taken into captivity by the Babylonians years before. Uh, there is a remnant now of folks who are there, and it's time for us to rebuild Jerusalem. He got everybody fired up, and they all said, yeah, let's do this. And then chapter 4 happens, and the fears come in. It says in verse 1, when we're talking right now, uh, this particular fear that we're going to see kind of well, uh, outlined here in the Nehemiah chapter 4 is that people are, are mean and scary. Isn't that, is that true? Has anybody seen this? Just so you know, you're, you're culpable too. You can be mean and scary. But there, uh, there's people in your life that are mean and scary, and there were people in the lives of these uh, builders that were mean and scary. Their names are Sanballat and Tobiah. Uh, so when Sal, Sanballat, Sanballat was the government, uh, governor of the region, uh, he was kind of, you know, picture like a Western film. He was kind of like the law. He was the, even though, you know, it wasn't super sanctioned, it was loosely sanctioned by the Persian government, uh, he was the law there in, in this region. And so uh, nothing happened except for his say-so. And uh, Nehemiah comes into town with a, a letter signed by the king that says, I can rebuild these walls. And Sam Ballot, he is not having it. Uh, he feels a, a threat to his leadership, a threat to his ownership of the region. He doesn't want the Jews to rebuild the walls because if they get behind those walls, then they're going to be hard to, you know, intimidate. And so uh, Sam Ballot uh, hears about the building of the wall, and it says that he was angry. And uh, the writer continues, he wasn't just angry, he was, he was flipping out. He was greatly enraged. And he got on Twitter and he jeered the Jews. <laughs> if they had it back then, that's exactly what it did. He said in the presence of his brothers, and the army of Samaria, which, by the way, he was over. Hey, y'all, come here. I know you've heard about this wall going up, but here's, 
here, here's the 411, all right? Uh, what are these feeble Jews doing? He gets anti-Semitic right there. Uh, he wasn't Jewish. He was a Gentile. He's like, what are these idiot Jews doing? Uh, will they restore it for themselves? Are they, re- are they really going to build this wall, seriously? Uh, will they sacrifice? He starts making fun of their religion. Just so you know, uh, the Jewish faith has kind of taken a hit during this, uh, uh, this uh, uh, you know, co- conquest of, of Babylon. Uh, lots of people weren't following the laws of uh, Moses. And uh, so he's like, oh, are they going to start doing their religion again? Will they sacrifice? Will they finish up in a day? Translation, will they ever finish? Will they revive the stones out of the heaps of rubbish and the burned ones at that? He's basically given a lot of fake news here. I know that's kind of in our culture, but uh, he's throwing out a bunch of hot air. And he's doing it all to discourage and kind of picture his brothers in the army of Samaria kind of being like, yeah, what Sam Ballot said. Guys are losers. Tobiah, one of his accomplices, uh, a guy who was an Ammonite, he was beside him and he said this, yeah, what they're building, if a fox goes up, uh, and stands on it, he'll break down the stone wall. They're now, now they're making fun of their craftsmanship. It's not me building that wall. I mean, that might be the case if, if I was building the wall, but these guys were talented, uh, stone cutters and builders, and, and Tobiah was saying, man, there's, they're, they're shoddy work. They're, they're so bad at what they're going to do. Even if they do build it, uh, a little, you know, four-pound fox could walk on it, and the whole thing's going to fall in. They're mocking, trash-talking. Uh, they are dis- seeking to discourage. As word gets back to Nehemiah and the builders, uh, we see a couple of things happening. And I want to give you, as we start here, some reminders for when people are mean and scary. Here's some reminders for when any fear comes, but especially when people are mean and scary. When any fear comes or people are mean and scary, first thing you do is pray first and ask questions later. Pray first, ask questions later. Look what Nehemiah says in verse 4. Hear, O our God. For we are despised. Nehemiah pulls the holy fire alarm. He dials 911. He gets on the red phone. And he says, Father, see what's going on. We have this force rising up against us. They're talking trash. They're discouraging those that I have recruited to build your wall. Come to our defense, is the note of his prayer, the, the tone of his prayer. We are despised. Help us in this time of need. Then he gets offensive. He gets, uh, uh, goes on, on the attack. He says, turn back their taunt on their own heads and give them up to be plundered in a land where they are captives. <laughs> uh, when we pray, here, here's what we should do. We should pray, God, first of all, be our refuge and our strength. And then we should pray, God, you be the one who gets our backs. You be the one, if there's vengeance necessary, who, who strikes vengeance who brings things back to right. You be the one. Now, this is contrary to the human um, method of dealing with fear. What, what's, when, when we get afraid, what, what are the two things? They rhyme, they start with F. They are fight and flight, right? So when we get afraid or when someone comes against us or someone disses us, uh, someone says something on Facebook, well, I'm going to type something just as nasty. And I'm going to fire it back. I'm going to fight back. I'm going to defend myself. I'm going to seek vengeance for myself. Or we pancake, we flatten out, 
We just run and we let whatever this bully's saying about us or whatever this circumstance that's overwhelming us, just do that, overwhelm us. Fight or flight. But the, the Christian ethic's different. Uh, if we fight, we fight from our knees. And we ask God to do what only he can do. If we, uh, well, we don't run. Uh, we stay in whatever he's called us to stay in. He says, uh, uh, verse 4, turn back the taunt. No, go back for me, please. Turn back the taunt on their own heads and give them up to be plundered in a land where they are captives. Verse 5, he says, do not cover their guilt and let not their sin be blotted out from your sight for they have provoked you to anger in the presence of the builders. What's your method when fears come? Do you fight? Do you run? Uh, Do you crater? Uh, I said that we uh, need to pray first and ask questions later. You know questions just makes fear bigger? You ever been in a situation where someone's fearful? Like I, I, I took, I, I've told you this story before, but I took Cooper to get shots when he was a younger guy, and he's whatever that word was for afraid of needles. And so uh, uh, the whole time we were in the waiting room at Quest Diagnostics, he peppered me with questions. How long is the needle? How big is it? How long is it going to be in my arm? Uh, uh, you know, is it going to hurt? And, I, and listen, some of the answers or some of the questions I could answer. No, it's just going to be a little pinch. It's going to be in there for a little bit. It's not, it's not like a hose. It's, not, you know, it's just a, it's a needle. Uh, but, but the more he asked questions, the bigger his fear got because he figured out more areas to be afraid in. What about this? What about this? I didn't even think of this. This could happen. I could, and so when stress comes, when angst comes, can I just encourage us all? Is what it is. Ask proper questions. Things like, okay, what does God want me to do in this? How should we manage this how should we manage this situation? But don't fly off into a flurry of queries that are gonna just make you just more amped up. Instead, and here's what I'm trying to learn to do in this year, my best year ever. I'm trying to learn to punctuate with prayer. Like just every conversation, whether it's a fearful one or just Um, finding out that someone else is fearful or something like that. Here's what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to be in the habit of just praying right then. Anybody hear someone who says, you know what, I'm going to pray about that? Anybody here do that? Oh, yeah, Christian, other Christian. That sounds like it's terrible. I'm going to totally pray about that. Don't raise your hand. Does anybody ever say they're going to pray about it and then forget to? Anybody ever say I'm going to pray about that because you just think that's the Christian thing to say at that moment and you have no intention of praying for that? Here's what we should do. Pray right then. Grab him by the shoulder and say, wow, you know what? That's bigger than both of us. Let's go to the one that it's not bigger than. Let's talk about it right now. Eleanor and I get up in the morning. She's usually up a couple hours before I am because that's just her. Uh, so I wake up and it's already, you know, she's just going. She's just talking. She's, she's been waiting for my eyes to open. Anybody know what I'm talking about? You know, and sometimes I'm like, for the love woman. Just let me wake up. And, then, and she's gracious. She's great. I love her. But, uh, but then she'll say, but no, this and this. And then we got this tonight, and our kids are doing this and this kind of thing. And we'll sit there, and, and just like you guys in your houses, I'll be like, yeah, and then I'll say my stuff. And she'll be like, yeah, and I'll say it. And here's what we're trying to do in the midst of those conversations. That's bigger than both of us. Let's just pray right now. Like it's gotten to the point where I'll be like in the middle of a conversation with her, and then all of a sudden I start talking to God. And she'll be in the bathroom getting ready, and she'll be like, what? And I'll be like, I'm, I'm almost done. Lord, take care of Ben. He's an idiot. Move him where he needs to go. 
And, and okay, next subject. And, and we just keep going, right? And that's, listen, when it says to pray without ceasing, I think that's, I think that's what it means. Don't put it off. Nehemiah hears about the threat. First thing, needs. God, give us strength and courage. God, be our avenger. The second thing that we need to remember is to proceed with the plan. Look what it says in verse 6. So Nehemiah, just a matter of fact, he says, so we built the wall. So we did it. They had an army. And they were talking trash on Twitter. And everybody else was thinking, oh, this wall's a bad idea. But I prayed and I asked God to be our defender, and so we built the wall. No big whoop. And he said the wall was joined together to about half its height. We got about half of it done, halfway up. The people had a mind to work. Everybody was buoyed by our successes. Everything was going great. We didn't let the very first thing keep us from the will of God being accomplished through us. Uh, You think we do that a lot? You think fear keeps us from missing out on God's very best? I said that at the beginning. I totally think it's true. And I I know it's true because in my own life, even as your pastor, I've allowed fear to keep me from doing things we should have done a long time ago but finally got to. Uh, The the chief one for me has been Rise Up. Uh, This is, you know, if you're kind of new to us, about two or three, four years ago, we started a process to get out of debt. And uh, it, was, it was about eight or nine years into my existence as your pastor. It's something I knew we always needed to do. And I tried all these different ways in my head and per, through my prayers to figure out ways that we could, you know, uh, you know I, I started playing the lottery. I mean, it was, no, I didn't really do that. I didn't do that, just so we're clear. Um, but I tried everything else except just to ask God's church to help us get out of debt. I, I don't even, I mean, there was some circumstances, don't have time to get in all of them. But there was finally this, like, mm, moment where I was like, that's it. And the board and I said, it's, it's, this is it. We've got to get out of debt. And we came to you guys. And through the gods uh, emboldening all of us, we said, yeah, this is it. That's it. And in two and a half years, we raised three and a half million dollars and we got out of debt. Right? Yeah. That's good stuff. But here's, here's the sad, not if there's a sad part. I'm so grateful we got around to it. But it could have been done earlier. And I'm not going to be up here and be pastor regret, but what, what are the things that we potentially missed because we just didn't act when we could have. And what are the things happening in your lives that you're missing out because you constantly kowtow to whatever the fear, whatever the angst, whatever the scary person is in your life, and you just won't move forward in what God has for your best. In a couple of weeks, we're going to talk about some of the very exciting next things that we have coming ahead of us. You've got to be at church every week, but especially on February 11th. Please come and join us then. Story's going to shift. People could get meaner and scarier. <laughs> Is that true? That'd be a great place for this story to stop. They built the wall, the end. But guess what? Their building half of the wall just made the people who were mad about them building the wall matter. Look what it says here in Nehemiah chapter 4, verse 7. When Sanballat and Tobiah... And the Arabs and the Amorites, if you want to kind of picture these, uh, Sambal was from up near Syria, uh, Tobiah I think was near the south, the Ammonites were to the east, the, uh, uh, who are the, the, the Ashdodites were to the west. It was basically the circle of enemies that were surrounding the city of Jerusalem. When all of these, uh, you know, tribes and, and leaders heard that uh, the, the repairing of the walls of Jerusalem was going forward, that their taunts and threats had not been sufficient to keep the walls from being built, um, 
that there were, that there were breaches in the walls that were being closed uh, that had been opened for years after the ransacking that Babylon did. Uh, they were very angry. And so they all plotted together to come and to fight against Jerusalem and to cause confusion in it. And they didn't make a secret of it. Again, on to Twitter. It's not just the armies uh, of Samaria. It's just not just you know, uh, our group. We've gotten all these other rival groups and we're coming together and we're, we're arming up. And we're gonna come kill us some builders. Reminders for when people are meaner and scarier then. Here from the text. First reminder is this, pray harder. Take precautions. Look what it says in Nehemiah 9, 4, 4 verse 9. It says, and we prayed to our God. Again, the threats come, the fears arise. And, and their first move, knees. They prayed to our God and we set a guard as protection against them day and night. Understand here that the day and night, that modifies both the prayer and the guard. So we prayed day and night and we set up a guard day and night. We prayed harder and we sought by the grace of God to take precautions in the event that things got worse. Christians, when it comes to fear, we pray for the best and we prepare for the worst. Okay, you pray for the best we prepare for the worst. A couple Christmases ago, I was leaving the Christmas Eve service. I hadn't bought uh, very many Christmas presents for my family, so I stopped in the Kmart, which is open Christmas Eve if you're ever in a pinch. And I got four, uh, excuse me, five sets of uh, jumper cables. Uh, and, and they are still the most made, of, uh, made fun of Christmas gift that I've ever given. You know, like one by one, they're all the same size, they're all boxed, they're all wrapped underneath the tree, and one by one, my family members, the first one opened them and they were like, oh, Jumper cables. Awesome. And then the next one opened them, and they were starting to pick up the theme, right? And so the last one opened them, and, and I think it was like, seriously, jumper cables? I thought it was a very practical gift. Why do you got a spare tire in your car? Why do you got jumper cables in your car? You're preparing in the event that things go poorly. The Bible talks, and I hadn't thought of anything else. All right. Uh, but the Bible talks over and over again about preparation, about precaution. Uh, it doesn't, when it says for us to be still, to let things go, it doesn't mean to just not move. It means in your hearts and in your minds, trust God, let go of the things that you're not trusting God with. But in other parts of Scripture, it's very clear that God wants us to be prepared. One of my favorite lines Growing up in my old Angry Baptist Church was in the King James, it says to gird up your loins. Anybody heard that one before? I love that line. I have no idea because I just said loins. It always made me giggle when I was in middle school. Loins. They said loins. <laughs> but in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13, some people aren't going to come back. All right. Uh, th- this is in the New King James. Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind. It's talking about your, your thinking. Be so and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you. I, I never knew what gird up your loins meant, and so I went to seminary, and, and they taught me what it meant. Back in the days, just stay with me here for a second. Back in the days when men, when men would clothe themselves, they would wear basically a, a big nightshirt. They would put on, I don't have a full one, but their, but their robes would go all the way down to the ground, right? And so if they were getting ready to, to work in the fields or to fight in a battle, they would gird up their loins. That's what it means. They would, they would take... Uh, the, the, the fabric of their, of their, yeah, stay with me. <laughs> and they would basically wrap it up 
kind of like a diaper. And then they'd, they'd pull it around to the front and they'd tie, yeah, it's not working. They'd tie it, they'd tie it around the front of them so they had, a, they basically created the first pair of shorts. That's what they'd do. And if, 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 they, were, if they were in the dress, ladies, maybe you can understand this better than us because we stopped wearing, most of us stopped wearing dresses a long time ago. But, um, but, but, but they just understood that if, I, if I'm going to act, I've got to prepare. And so it became this saying, gird up your loins, prepare. And the, the implication was get ready to act. So as you read words like prepare your minds in our modern translations, think of, mm, I, I've got I've to go from being dormant, docile, uh, to, to being ready and willing to do whatever God calls me to do. Pray harder, take precautions, prepare for the doubts that will creep in. But look what happens in the, in, the, in the vernacular of the people of the day in Judah. So amongst, uh, uh, the, actually, these are actually the builders. In the Judah, it was said, the strength of those who bear, uh, bear, uh, bear the burdens is failing. There's too much rubble. By ourselves, the builders says, we will not be able to rebuild this wall. Yeah, fear is going to make people want to stop. Now, verse 11, uh, it, it goes back to the enemies, their, their Twitter feed. The enemy says that they will not know or see till we come among them and kill them and stop the work. It's going to be bad, capital B. And even the families of the builders, uh, the Jews in general who lived near them, they came from all directions and they said to us, 10 times, it's probably hyperbole, He's probably just saying over and over and over again, people came to us and said, you guys are nuts. You're building this wall. Four armies are going to come against you. Come home to us. Give this up. Dreamers, have you ever heard this kind of stuff? Someone in your life said, you're nuts. Someone who's against your dreams says, I'm going to crush you. You even look in the mirror sometimes and say, this is never going to work. Well, those are doubts. It's part of the human condition. We are going to have questions and wonder if this is such a good idea. So Nehemiah reports it here. He says, yeah, of course people were against us. Of course our enemies were uh, threatening us. Of course we were even questioning our own selves. But those doubts did not deter us. We kept listening to the only voice that matters. One of my favorite texts that Jesus teaches in John, is in John chapter 10 where he says, I'm the good shepherd. Uh, the sheep know my voice, right? I remember going into a, a room full of uh, preschoolers at the church that I used to go to in Texas, and my kid would be there, and it'd be time for us to go home after church. I mean, there's like 35 kids in this thing. And I would just be standing at the door talking to whoever was serving that day, watching my kids. And my kids would be in the middle, deep in, in play, in the middle of whatever's going on, Legos flying everywhere. And all of a sudden, my voice, just softly, is you know, just added to the din. And, and Coop, Ben, Kai, whoever it was, bing. Time to go. That's dad. I can't see him yet, but I can hear his voice. I wasn't even calling their name, but they were attuned to the tone of what was coming from me. Oh, that we would be those kinds of children to our heavenly father, that when he says go, we don't listen to our doubters. We don't listen to our enemies. We don't listen to our own doubts. We tune them all out 
save for the voice of our good shepherd, save for the voice of the one who is calling us into what is for our best. Then the, the text goes on, and we need to put a, pan, a plan of protection in place. Lots of P's this week in the sermon, sorry about that. Uh, so in the lowest parts of the space behind the wall in open places, I stationed people by their clans. This is more of that plan, that precaution that, that Nehemiah is uh, you know, implementing. Uh, I stationed people, uh, interesting, note this, by their clans. They had swords and spears and their bows. I armed our builders and those who would come to our defense. I, I put them in places to, where they could protect us. I did what I needed to do to give assurances to those who were accomplishing God's work. When I was a little kid, I was deathly afraid of the dark. Anybody? Just me? Okay, so I'm the loser. But uh, I was so afraid of the dark that if they didn't leave the hall light on, my parents didn't leave the hall light on, right? Uh, I would get up and go turn it on myself. One of the worst home accidents I ever had, I'd, I'd been sent to bed early, uh, my mom shut the door. The hall light was uh, not able to pass through the, you know, the door. And so uh, I was getting up uh, as a four or five-year-old to, to open the door so that the hall light could come in. My mom was going to come in for one last blast, and she popped me in the forehead with the doorknob, knocked me out cold, and I had six, six, six stitches on my forehead. You could still see the mark if you get close enough. But that all was born of my fear, my fear of the dark. Every time the lights went out, I saw this one guy on Sesame Street that was the scariest puppet I've ever seen. <laughs> and he was coming for me. And I needed someone, something, to assure me that he couldn't get me. And for whatever reason, for kids, a lot of times it's light. That's why we got night lights and hall lights and lights. Just if I could see, I'm not afraid. And those are the provisions that God wants us to give each other. He wants us to, to, to as, as fellow followers, to be lights in the lives of those who are afraid, to be encouragers, to be assurers, to be strategic in the placement of our troops. And it's, and it's interesting, he says, I, I, I grouped them together as clans. You know why he did that? Because families were more likely to protect families. You put a bunch of guys who are in the same family at one section of the wall, and things started to go badly there, maybe if they didn't have, you know, life investment with each other, they'd start running. But if someone starts messing with dad, well, we gotta take care of dad. Pretty smart on the Nehemiah's part, right? Put families with families. But all of it was according to him having a plan uh, to overcome the fears. The last thing is this, we need to post the power of God at the front of our fight. Uh, and this is how the story ends. I, I looked and I rose and said to the nobles and to the officials and to the rest of the people, do not be afraid. Here's the word. What is it? Remember. It's, Nehemiah says, I'm putting you on uh, notice. This is your reminder. Remember who? The Lord, who is great and awesome. Be still and know that God is God. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. Hey, y'all, God's got us. Just be ready. Whatever comes, he's with us. Be a part of our solution. Stand firm. He'll see us through. And then the story ends, like so many stories in the, in the Bible, it ends pretty anticlimactically. Like, I'd love to see the scene. You know, this would be like the great crescendo if this was a movie. 
you know, the scene where, like, maybe, you know, Lord of the Rings or something, Sanballat and Tobiah and the Ammonites and the Ashdodites, they all line up around the walls, and, and these builders, you know, they have their DeWalt drills on one side, and they're, you know, whatever is defending them, their swords or whatever, and, 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 you know, they're staring at each other, and the music builds, you know, and then finally, the armies just walk away. Because what it says, when our enemies heard that it was known to us and that God had frustrated their plan, uh, well, we all returned to the wall. And we just kept on a building. I don't know how many times God has uh, interceded on my behalf and I've not seen it. I'm sure it's a lot. You know, because I'll say, well, that was weird. What a coincidence. That's interesting. Never saw that coming. But how often does God get us past our fears to the point where we're just trusting him. We're just like, all right, Lord, whatever. And then he does this, and it's this anticlimactic thing in our lives. We're like, yeah, I guess that just went away. I guess this huge threat was not a huge threat after all. Because the God who is able, who's bigger than, he, he can frustrate the plans of our enemies. He can frustrate the plans of our greatest enemy, the enemy. And he stands in our gap and defends us. If only we will be strong and courageous and not fear. So now, may you and I, whatever it is that's holding us back from God's best in our lives, may we be reminded that God is bigger than. He's our refuge. He's our strength. He is our help in times of trouble. We have only to be still. That doesn't mean to be quiet. That means to let it go. Be still. Know that he is God, and he will be exalted in all the nations. He will be exalted in all the earth. Amen. Let's pray. God, thanks so much for your word and a chance to, as uh, always, open it and learn from it. And Lord, I was encouraged by reading Nehemiah again this week for my own life, uh, the things that lie ahead of us as a church, the things that lie ahead of me as a pastor. Um, I am seeking to trust you. I'm, I'm praying to you now for those things. I want to pray to you again and again. I want us all to pray and seek you for what we lack. You are bigger than the stuff we face, and we are smaller than most of the time the things that we face. Help us to not waste time asking empty questions that lead to doubts. Help us to not waste time trying to fix things that we can't fix. Help us instead to trust you to do what we can on our end to provide and protect, but then to follow you, God, into what you have best for us, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.